Rutherford County's Place to Talk. Hip, hip, hooray, let's give a cheer. It's 9 a.m., the signal's clear. Our favorite host is in the chair. The Truman Show is on the air. It's The Truman Show with Truman Jones. A look at the politics, news, sports, and people that are shaping Rutherford County. The Truman Show is on the air. The Truman Show is on the air. From Sylvan Park Restaurant on Northwest Broad Street, Truman Jones is on News Radio WGNS. Exceptional boys organization, the Boy Scouts, back mm-hmm. in the 50s and 60s. And a uh, number of us ended up working for the Scouts Summer Camp, which is still there. It's called Boxwood up near Gallatin. And uh, it was back in the 60s, 19, uh, 1960 through 67, 68. And uh, someone organized a little get-together back in 2014. And uh, many of us were there, several of us were there. And we remembered that we had one summer, 1965, I organized a trip to Canada where we went canoeing out in the wild areas of Canada mm-hmm. for about three weeks. And uh, so we decided, let's get the group together for a picture. And we uh, posed for a picture. And in the back right behind me was the first district congressman, Phil Rowe, who was one of our group. And we were laughing about being kids and what we did back then. And he said, let's do it again. Mm-hmm. And everybody got kind of quiet. And after a few seconds, somebody said, yeah, let's do it again. <laughs> so in 2015, exactly 50 years to the day after our trip as kids, we went back, and uh, I barely survived, as did several of the others, but we did it again. Following that, two years later, uh, one of the guys organized a visit up in uh, the mountains near Fall Creek Falls, some scout property up there. And we have, for the last three years, every August, first week of August, or first full weekend in August, uh, we've been getting together. And uh, the congressman uh, has always been there, and uh, he's just retired. So we enjoy his stories of what's actually going on. And uh, we just catch up with each other, and then we do a little hiking and uh, 
shooting, mm -hmm. fishing uh, for a weekend, and that was this past weekend. I, I cut it a little short. I came home a day early, uh, but I was up there long enough to again renew. And I, I, you know, I recommend that to anybody. There's a group that you identify with. Spend some time, at least annually or every other year because you really uh, uh, kind of get your head together when you have a yeah. chance to think you know, what's happening, what's going on. One thing that we unfortunately agree on is that the organization that we all enjoyed back in the 50s and 60s is gone. And uh, we really don't, any of us, identify with... Uh, Boy Scout organization today. It's, yeah. it's evolved, perhaps. Uh, had to to survive, although the survival's, I think, questionable now. Uh, but let's see, in the group, there are four of us that are lawyers, two doctors, and everybody else is a successful businessman, a couple of educators, uh, coach, football coach out of Lebanon. Uh, it's just an interesting group. And uh, uh, the support we still give each other, you know, some of us can't really climb the hills, but the others will, will assist. And some of us uh, don't enjoy fishing, but we enjoy watching the others. And uh, good exercise. That reminds me of the, the history of the Boy Scouts here in this area uh, and how important and influential it was back in the 1920s, 30s, 40s, on up probably through the 50s into the 60s. Uh, in the 60s, Percy Dempsey was a lead scoutmaster here, uh, and we see his name uh, where we were. There are areas that are named for him, which I'm sure is financial support for the organization. Uh, but it was... Also, this year is the 100th anniversary of the first organization of scouting in Middle Tennessee, which was what was called the Nashville Council. It was completely limited to the city of Nashville mm -hmm. at that time. And today the uh, organization, or at least the Middle Tennessee Council today, is planning a big uh, affair as a fundraiser. Uh, to recognize a hundred years, and uh, they're raising money to recondition the scout camp mm -hmm. where, where we all started. And I wish them well. It needs some love and attention and some money to bring it back around. Uh, but again, I don't think, uh, but maybe one or two of the group are involved now with with the council. But. Uh, they asked me about the 100th anniversary, and as people have come to expect from me, I said, well, no, not really. Uh, the Middle Tennessee Council, as it's today known, dates from the late 1940s. Mm -hmm. The Nashville Council, which was a predecessor, was organized in the 1920s. Uh, so, you know, fair enough to call it the 100th anniversary, but... Uh, that's the Nashville program, not the not the area-wide Middle Tennessee program. And if you look at the history, Rutherford County is one of the early groups, early uh, areas to adopt scouting and embrace it. Uh, I guess 
before uh, I can't date it exactly. It had been the early 30s, late 1920s when uh, Murfreesboro first organized its council and set up the first troop, which was called Troop 105. And I believe what I'm pretty sure was with the Methodist Church because the Methodist churches across the country were the first institutions to sponsor and host scout troops. Mm -hmm. But soon after that first one, the Presbyterian Church here in Murfreesboro organized what became Troop 106, so we had two very strong programs in those early years. Uh, but ahead of Rutherford County and Murfreesboro was Tullahoma, curiously. Uh, Tullahoma, in 1928, organized their own Boy Scout Council, got chartered by the national organization, and opened a summer camp called Camp Fisher. And the troops up here in uh, Murfreesboro would do their summer camping there at Camp Fisher. Uh, and I remember interviewing, uh, before he died, uh, Thomas Baps Cannon IV, <laughs> who died just short of 100 years a couple of years ago. And he remembered camping at Camp Fisher. And he remembered that one of the camp leaders down there from up in this area was Baxter Hopgood. Oh, my. Yes, yeah, so Baxter would spend the school year in his role as an educator up here, but then would go on the payroll, which wasn't much, uh, during the summers down at Camp Fisher, which was on the Duck River mm -hmm. in Coffee County. Uh, the uh, leaders of the program up here, though, believed and wanted to have their own camp partly for convenience, but partly so they could run the program as they thought it ought to be run. A fellow named Watson was uh, the head of the Murfreesboro Power Company, the electric department, we call it now, mm -hmm. just before we sold it. Uh, he was uh, probably this heading the board, board chairman for the scouts in Rutherford County back in the 30s and decided we needed a camp for the kids up in Rutherford County. And he scouted the county and picked out the best spot and approached a farmer out there. Uh, farmer was uh, out near the Browns Mill area. In fact, it was on the bank there at the, at the mill. And, uh, it wasn't Guy James, I'm sure. It was Guy James Sr., <laughs> He approached Guy James and said, uh, we'd like to build a lodge and put up some smaller huts and use it during the summer as a Boy Scout summer camp. Mm -hmm. Guy James uh, never missed a chance. He said, uh, we can work that out, but I want you to extend the electric line out to the camp so I can use the electricity on my farm and you'll, of course, have it for your, your lodge. Mm -hmm. And originally, Watson... Uh, was the district man for the Tennessee Electric Power Company. That was the private utility that served this area until they were merged into the co-op in mm -hmm. the 30s. That's another long story, uh, the electricity wars. Uh, but he still was uh, very influential in, in the area. And... Uh, running the Murfreesboro Electric Department. He was able to accommodate Guy James. So Guy James got his electricity, and the Boy Scouts got their 
camp. When I talked to fellows who remembered going to the camp, they all remembered that the camp was called Camp Mullywatt. And none of us How do you spell that? M-U-L-L-Y-W-A-T-T. And I actually saw references mm. to Camp Mullywatt in the local newspaper. And uh, But nobody could explain exactly why or, or even had a, anything more than speculation as to how it got that name. Apparently the kids started calling it that. And... Uh, the authorities called it the Boy Scout Camp, so Mully Watt came to be the popular name. Since Watson was the uh, one behind it, the Mully Watt might have some connection to his name, or it may just be some reference to electricity terminology. Yeah. Uh, but that's what it—that's what it was called, and uh, it continued to be all through the war years the Boy Scout camp. In 1947-48, the Scouts were experiencing uh, financial issues, and the decision was made to try to merge all of the local groups who were dealing directly with the National Council for uh, authorization and such to combine them into the Nashville Council. Uh, they changed the name of the Nashville Council uh, to Middle Tennessee Council. Hmm. Uh, what was interesting is there already was a Middle Tennessee Council. Uh, Murray County, Columbia, had its own scouting program, and they called their, their organization Middle Tennessee Council. So they merged the Nashville Council with that Columbia Council and kept the name that Columbia was using. In Middle Tennessee Council. Murfreesboro very quickly joined with the uh, Nashville Council and even before then had been using some of the resources out of Nashville. There was one strong. In our. Can't talk about money. Yeah, I'm getting a loud buzzing. Go ahead. You are on the air. Whoever's at the radio station, our mics are blowing up over here. A lot of static. Okay, nothing's blowing up, I don't think. Just uh, go right ahead. That was a divisive issue initially. And initially, the agreement was made that funds raised in the county would stay in the county uh, program. Uh, after a fellow named Ward Akers finally took over as kind of chief executive for the program, that was leveled off. So it was more of a the money will be allocated to where it's needed rather than where it came from. Are we still on the air? Uh, Truman Jones has stepped back from the mic and is making a phone call. Yeah. Well, I'm the assumption that uh, some can still hear it. Uh, the facility, the lodge, the, the main facility out at Camp Mullywatt, uh, continued to be used even after the merger and the commitment to uh, what back then was called Camp Boxwell. Uh, it was used by church groups, club groups, and was even the 
the original home of the local sportsman's club. And uh, I think it's cleared up, Truman. If you want to try mount your head again, it's cleared up. Uh, and we've talked to folks who remember going to church socials, gatherings, and different uh, organizations at the lodge, as it was called. And eventually the lodge burned. Uh, some say it was a lightning or a, a result of a lightning. Uh, I'm not sure of that. Uh, others think it uh, may have been, ironically, an electrical issue. Uh, that's what's put it there, so it may would make a good story if that's what ended it as well. Uh, Let me ask you a question. The thing that would interest me is what was the difference in the city boys and the country boys when they would be on the scouting trips together? Well, uh, first, it was very rare for the country boys to even be involved in scouting. Think about what scouting was initially. Mm -hmm. It was an outdoor program. Get the city kids out, teach them about the outdoors, appreciation for the outdoors. So uh, today... If you talk to someone in our age group who was raised in uh, Rutherford County, out in the rural areas of the county, the odds are they were not in scouting. Mm -hmm. But if you go back into the boys that were teenagers in the 30s, almost all of them who lived within Ruther within Murfreesboro mm -hmm. were in scouting. And uh, I remember even in the 50s and 60s, there were very few really rural country boys in the program, yeah, uh, because you know what was the draw, the outdoor program. You know, they most of them grew up with it, mm -hmm. and uh, you don't need to go camping to be out in the woods if you if you live on a farm in Rutherford County. That would be one of the draws for country boys is to show the city boys, you know. How For those who have spent some time being raised in the country, you ain't got a whole lot of time. It's building your uh, duties. Uh, so you make, you, you make a good point or bring up a good point. It was really targeting the inner, what we now would call inner city uh, population. Uh, but today, one of the things I think is a mistake is the Boy Scout tries to be everything to everybody. And so you've got programs that never touch on the outdoors. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> uh, I mean, the ultimate objective of scouting then, and I hope now, is citizenship and leadership. Uh, but the method was always the outdoors. Yeah. Well, since I'm uh, able to hear again, I, I am back. And, and I really have enjoyed... Um, the the scouting information that you put forward here because they've gotten such a bad name um, because of the media more than anything else. You know when you when there are a few bad things that are happening that that they run with. Um, that that's uh, you a little bit of calmness and education to what it really was about and and. Uh, the media, uh, if you go back into the files and read newspapers back, well, certainly before the war, 
the uh, activity of the scouts locally was front page? Uh, in fact, usually each of the troops had one older boy who was the scribe or the uh, communications member, and uh, they would write and report on whatever activity was going on, mm-hmm. and frequently with a picture. And uh, the newspaper uh, covered it. Yeah. And, uh, it was an asset to the community. Yeah, and yeah, a lot of community pride. And uh, you'd see the uh, story of the last meeting and what the activity was and what's coming up. And then, and then it'd be signed by the scout whose mm-hmm. time it was to, to do that. And uh, just clear that it was regarded by the community and supported by the community as, as an asset. Uh, something to talk about, something to be proud of. So... It's been a major part of your life as far as scouting because of all the friends that you've made and and, uh, all the interesting things that you've got to do. And it's a shame that something that valuable to young people, especially young men back in those days, uh, it's a shame that it's just pretty much leaving us and people are afraid to even uh, mention the name anymore. A visual, a very obvious presence uh, in our community until quite recently mm-hmm. uh, was a result of the community's commitment to the scouting program. Mm-hmm. Back during the Depression, there, of course, was the worker work progress in the WPA and the CCC, the Conservation Corps, and uh, Eleanor Roosevelt, First Lady, was concerned when she... Uh, reviewed the programs, that there was no uh, Depression-era program targeting youth from about 12 to 20. And so she advocated and drafted a program called, uh, I think it was something, Youth Corps. And it, uh, as you might expect, if you've ever read about the Roosevelt, when she decided something should happen. It usually did. She had quite a bit of it. Very strong woman. Very strong and uh, very strong influence within the administration. Uh, so this uh, funding for youth programs targeting that age group was on her initiative established. Uh, some folks down here involved in the scouting program learned of this program and used new money and made application. And what they asked for was funding to provide a facility that could house the scouting program, meeting place for the troops uh, here in Rutherford County. And they succeeded in getting a, uh, a grant of money sufficient enough to build something like that. And then uh, the leadership uh, surveyed the community and picked a spot, which today would be... Uh, over near the old hospital site, mm-hmm. right over in that area, and uh, asked the city to purchase the property and then to make it exclusively available to the scouts. And the leadership of the city, Murfreesboro Council at the time, uh, did vote to use some of that grant money, which technically had been given to the city, mm-hmm. to purchase a lot over there and to build a facility. 
and gave the Boy Scouts what at the time was called a permanent use easement. Uh, and did everything officially and legally and papered it thoroughly. And then built a long house uh, right next to where it used to be, a, things have changed, it used to be a water tower right next to it, the J.C. Park. Uh, and that was the scout house. And it continued oh, well into the 60s. Percy Dempsey was the scoutmaster there, a number of our former scouts. Uh, I'm remembering Judge Corlew. Uh, grew up going through scouting using that facility. Uh, when it became uh, a bit inadequate as the program grew, eventually the scouts uh, began to use their institutional supporters for the meeting place and such. And the log cabin after. I remember reading that it took two years to undo the legal aspects of the property and the cabin. Uh, Attorney LaRoche, the senior, uh, worked on it and finally got it cleared so others could use it. And then it was made available to the Murfreesboro Little Theater. And uh, the Little Theater used it off and on up until recently. And as we know, it's disappeared now. It's a vacant lot there. So even the physical uh, evidence of the scouting program is, is disappearing. Brian has been fixing our radio for us, and things sound a lot better. Still, I'm of the opinion that Monday is checkout day, and that I'm your sound sound test, mic test. Yeah, it's resounding here on Mondays. Well, there's been a lot going on uh, this weekend. Of course, people are getting out more, um, and I, I am thoroughly enjoying the change. And I was sitting over at. Um, cracker barrel yesterday uh with my kids and uh, who comes up but frank hayes uh, one of our world war ii heroes yes he, i think he told me he was 95 now and uh we were sitting out there just a yakking away and having fun and he was um talking about all of the uh historical items that he had from world war ii that he uh gave to the uh, well, you and he went over there and uh, gave them to the uh, people at the courthouse, and it, it's part of the World War II memorial that they have, which is really, really special. And I saw uh, Bill Allen, who uh, is a retiree from Murfreesboro Electric, and they, they had a, a large picture of him uh, in, in one of the magazines the other day. And about that same time I was reading that, I found out that uh, letters had been sent to the retirees from Murfreesboro Electric, and some of their perks were uh, being taken away. So I think uh, maybe uh, Murfreesboro Electric is... is uh, you hear a phone going on? Do we have a caller? Well, evidently not. I hear a loud humming, buzzing. It, it sounds like a phone. Going. It's one of your phones on the table. Okay, I'm gonna grab the phone. Hello. So Truman's. Hey, cell, Bud Mitchell. Truman's cell phone comes across on the radio. That's yeah, Percy. He 
puts his cell phone on the table, it vibrates on the table, which there's another microphone on the table, which causes it to vibrate. So oh, I leave yeah. mine in the car. <laughs> well, that was uh, Percy. Uh, Bud Mitchell is saying that he w- went through uh, the scouts with, with Percy Dempsey. Percy Dempsey yeah. was the leading scoutmaster yeah. in the 50s, yeah. 60s. So uh, when was that log house? Built over there. 38, 39. He said 38 and 39, Greg did. Yeah. Yeah. You got dead air. Put Mitchell on uh, so we can hear him. I'm getting a small grin from the sheriff. <laughs> All right. Yes, he was, bud. Thanks for calling. All right. Bye-bye. I guess bud decided to just talk to me instead of letting it go through WCNS. Yeah, and that buzzing was your phone vibrating. Uh, Was it? Yes, it was. Well, the phone that I've got on this computer is still bouncing up and down. Beats me. (laughs) Uh, I hope to get Bud on maybe the last part of this week. uh, The crisp, professional way in which we conduct this uh, radio show is bound to make an impression. I I get uh, messages all the time. Uh, wondering um, about how how in the world did we become so professional in such a short time? You and I have only been on for ten years. Ten and, years. Yeah, and we haven't learned a thing in all the time that we've been on here. Well, we we headed down to a science up at the studio, and then we moved to a restaurant. Maybe that had something to do with it. Well, the food is better down here. I can tell you right now, at Sylvan Park. And, and, and the friendships we, that we've made down here since we've been at, at, no, no. at the restaurant has been unbelievable. No question. But uh, the Hardy's burger wasn't too bad up at that uh, studio. Yeah. The Hardy's biscuit. Where were you? I, 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 when the phone, when the phone interrupted. Well, I'm looking at all this. Uh, take a break, but we're not. We're evidently we're not taking a break. Oh, wait so a we were talking about some World War II heroes. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. I okay, got, I got a name I like to throw out. See if anybody can tell me something about it. My father, like all the other boys, uh, in 1940, 41, 42, went into the service, and there were one or two left behind, either for age or for other reasons. And one fella uh, had been the student manager of the football team. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> My father, of course, was a quarterback just before they all had to go overseas. And three of them on that team ended up in the South Pacific. <clears throat> but and from what we were looking at last week, the, during the military, there's an awful lot of dead time and an awful lot of letter writing goes on. Mm. Well, the manager, the student manager of the football team remained at least another year or two before... Uh, leaving the campus, and he started uh, writing regularly to some of the boys overseas that had been on the football team. So uh, one time, not too long ago, going through 
family files. I began to find letters to my father from Greer Wiggins. Uh, Greer Wiggins had been the student football team manager. Mm -hmm. You know, the guy, the, the, the kid that hands out the towels and keeps up with the equipment. And he was writing and reporting on who was still in town and what was going on in town and giving the uh, former football players a little direct inside information or public information on what was going on in Murfreesboro. I know that uh, Greer, an unusual first name, Greer got into the restaurant business, had a restaurant in Nashville named Greer's. Uh, it has long since disappeared. And if anybody remembers Greer Wiggins, I'd be interested in a phone call as to what happened to Greer. Did he ever go into the service? Uh, and I wonder if somebody's got a file of letters he may have received back from uh, the football players that he was corresponding with. Well, I've got, uh, I, this is from Brian, who's typed in all this. Caller called in and said, I love Mondays with Truman and Greg. I look forward to Monday because of them. So, you know, people don't have to be successful to get attention. Uh, sometimes we are can you, be like uh, are you Martin and Lewis or, or, or whatever. I, I don't know. But uh, ours is not pre-planned. It just, it just comes right along. Well, if they enjoy slapstick comedy uh, on an audible basis, that may be what they're referring to. Let's tune in and see what goes wrong. Because I can't imagine somebody making that decision without running it through the city council, but evidently it was. Well, if the sale transaction has been consummated, and I don't really know where it is, the city council doesn't have any direct control anymore. It's now part of the co-op, isn't it? I don't know. That's what he's working on. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, when when they're informed, I mean, it, it's like a lightning bolt out of the sky, I guess, because... Uh, I don't think anybody was prepared for that or, or hadn't been brought up before. I'm trying to think who sent me the bill, the electric bill. Where did it come from the last time around? Well, you, I paid it, but I didn't even pay it. Oh, that's right. You, you you get bills for Murfreesboro Electric or, or did in, in Middle Tennessee Electric because uh, you own uh, homes in Murfreesboro and out in the county. I do have I do consume a little electricity in town, and of course the farm is a big electric uh, operation. Why would your farm be more of an electric problem than that in the city? I didn't say problem. I said operation. I think the last time I counted, there were twelve buildings yeah. uh, and three pumps, all relying on electricity out on the farm. So it's a substantial consumer of electricity. Yeah, when you're on a farm, things are on the uh, 
pressure controls for the uh, windshield wiper. You know. And they're all by herself. Yeah, and they're in the front of the car. That was Miss Cora. Miss Cora. Uh, Miss yeah. Princess. Yeah, she has an advantage. She can actually crawl into the, under the hood and work from uh, being on the spot there. That's the great thing about having a farm, isn't it? You learn how to take care of almost everything that's out there. Well, she's very much a little princess, very interested in her her hair and her clothes, but she's also very much of a farm girl. She loves to go out and get under whatever my son's working on. Yeah. And uh, seriously, they were working on the fueling system of the Volkswagen and uh, also the old Chevrolet. And you have to crawl under the car to get to the tank and the gauge attachments. And she's under there learning it and messing with it. Uh, uh, she's a special little girl. She really is. Right. Is anything going on at the farm these days? Uh-oh, here we go again. Question from caller. We've lost the ability to put the callers directly through. Maybe that's what went up. Craig, with all the farms we once had years ago. Seeing a decrease in the farms today. Oh, dramatic. How many farms do we have today when compared to yesteryears, years ago? Well, I can't talk in real numbers of farms, but in certain areas it's very obvious. Uh, today I think I'm aware of two still operating dairy farms in the entire county. And of course we used to be the dairy capital of the south and uh, out in my area every farm had a, a dairy, dairy barn, dairy operation. Uh, hundreds, I'm sure, of uh, dairy operations back in the, as late as the 50s, mm -hmm. on into the early 60s, uh, and they have almost all disappeared. In fact, the two I'm thinking of, I haven't checked on lately, they may have uh, shut down. Uh, so they've been dramatic change. And what about Earl McCrary out in the last Cassius? He's one I'm uh, thinking may still be. I guess Ernie Brown's running that one. Now. Yeah, may still be milking some. Uh, and then, uh, unfortunately, the best site for a new subdivision is also the best area for uh, row cropping, farming, beans, mm -hmm. corn, what have you. So, you know, the, that's where the, the new homes get built. And, you know, we welcome some new neighbors, but uh, you know, we, lose, uh, we lose farmland usually on the front end of growth like we've been mm -hmm. experiencing. And you can tell now more and more they're building uh, subdivisions in areas that were hardly even suitable for farming uh, with the equipment and the technology today. You kind of, uh, you're kind of a picture of things gone by at your farm because you're running a farm like it should be run. And, and uh, you're growing. Uh, it, it's probably one of the prettiest farms in Rutherford County simply because you make it that way. You put in a lot of work at your farm, and, and it kind of almost reminds me of days gone by with, with uh, the, the time spent as far as, uh, like, we used to have to work many years ago. I mean, we would work hard uh, with all the chores, but, but uh, 
we we wanted to. Am I ready to talk? Man? <laughs> if you can get a word in, go ahead. <laughs> but 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 I, I am fascinated by by the way that you have improved the farm. I mean, it was beautiful well, when you moved out there. But my goodness, what you've done. Point of view. My senior mentor, Quilla Bowman, mm-hmm. former commissioner, school board member, uh, was quick to point out that I was wasting some of the best uh, pasture and, and uh, hay property because I took the the uh, fields on the front that front on uh, the Bradable Pike mm-hmm. and essentially turned them into the front yard. Uh, we uh, For a while, I used to take hay off of it, but now we just mow it. And plant trees and flowers and enjoy it. And uh, he uh, frequently would say, "You know, your best pasture is uh, is what you fenced off and not using anymore." <laughs> so it depends on your point of view. Well, I tell you what, was he the one that talked you into that beautiful hedge in the very front of the house where you could sit there and just kind of enjoy the quietness of the day? No. That was one of the things he might have pointed out, that we were planting holly trees, which the cattle won't eat, Yeah, uh, holly bushes. Uh, and, uh, yes, we have, been, we have recently changed, changed that. The forsythia also bothered him because they spread so that you lose more and more of your, of your pasture. But uh, mm-hmm. it's pretty. And uh, we do enjoy uh, just sitting and looking at that front area. we got about... 30 acres now committed to a cattle herd, small cattle herd, and about 100 acres committed to soybeans. Uh, so, you know, we're still very much a, very much a farm, but uh, that leaves about uh, 30 to 40 acres that uh, is, not, is not productive. Uh, I think it's beautiful what y'all do. Well, well, I'll pass that along next time someone asks why we're wasting it. I'll tell them, well, Truman said it's beautiful. Yeah. You you've got it the farm sectioned out for for special things that you've had there uh, on the farm over the years, and, and I've never seen so many flowers and and different type of things that you uh, you, you uh, improve, and I, uh, that's a rare thing in today's world. My wife is very persuasive. <laughs> I think I saw you. I was driving down Bradable Pike to put my uh, uh, trash in, in the recycling place. And uh, I think I saw you on the tractor, if I'm not mistaken. And you were over in, as you faced the house, you were over in that right-hand side. And you looked like you were kind of trapped underneath a tree. I don't recall being trapped. Uh, but if it was a small tractor, yeah, 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 the gar- thats the garden plot. Yeah, and I mow around it just so we don't wade through tall grass to get to the garden. Yeah, it, it's a place that you can stay busy, isn't it? The, the farm is is uh, is always you, something. That, yeah, there's always something broken. There's always something needing attention. Yeah, uh, and that's almost true of home ownership. But you can imagine multiply that by about ten. And you got what's going on at a farm. Yeah. Let's see, one one topic that we have spoken about that uh, I guess I should continue to give updates, and that's the what's turned out to be a sensitive, controversial issue out at the Sam Davis Memorial 
uh, farm over there. And uh, the question remains, uh, why are we permitting a third party to tear down a old low-head dam that has not, to my knowledge, been an issue mm -hmm. uh, in order to create what's called mitigation credits, which were then marketable for about $1.3 million. Uh, and uh, as far as we can tell, none of that uh, income is committed to the program support at the Sam Davis home. And probably half of it. Uh, Let me ask you a question. How come someone else could get mitigation credits for something that relates to the Sam Davis property? Apparently there is pending or has been executed, I don't know, a contract between this third party and the Sam Davis uh, board trustees uh, giving them the right to tear down the dam to generate mitigation credits. And I'm quoting the public notice that was put up. Mm -hmm. Removal of dam for the purpose of creating mitigation credits. Mitigation credits can be sold when uh, there's been an environmental improvement and then they're sold to another party which is going to do something uh, detrimental to the environment. Uh, so we get a neutral result. So it's not really environmental improvement. It's working towards a neutral result and permitting uh, a certain uh, pollution or uh, diminution of uh, stream flow uh, or habitat removal uh, to occur by improving it somewhere else. But uh, it's, it's a big deal if you're a developer and uh, we know that there are four private developments, subdivisions and such, that are buying these mitigation credits so they can uh, interfere with the stream flow uh, in exchange for buying the mitigation credits. Did the Sam Davis board uh, agree to that? Uh, I was at one time a member of the board. I'm not now. I don't know what the discussion was. But, uh, yes, as far as I know, it's been approved or was approved, although we have been advised by some of the members that there was really no discussion of the dollar value and the money involved and the mitigation credits. It was more of uh, we can get this dam removed uh, and uh, it won't cost us anything, so why not do it? Uh, and, of course, I'm not sure I really sympathize with the position that the dam was a hazard. We've got no documentation of any accidents or uh, any negative uh, results over at the little dam. It initially was built as part of a garden project uh, at the uh, Davis home. And the construction was at the initiative of a direct descendant the Davis family mm -hmm. back in the 30s, just a couple of years after the uh, property was first set up as a memorial. State property, of course. And uh, the, the trustees and the board members are entrusted with maintaining and, and uh, the mission of the Sam Davis Memorial, uh, which means they're involved in public service. It's a state property. So... Uh, you know, they, they need to be sure that everything is transparent and be prepared to take criticism.
uh, and respond to it. Do they, the board, do they actually know who it is that is wanting these mitigation credits and what, what it will be used for? Uh, I'm confident that today they know or have every opportunity to know what they knew at the time of the vote. I don't know. Yeah. Because it has been in uh, been in print, published, uh, subdivision names and such. And I think we've even talked about them on the air here yeah. a couple of weeks ago. Clearly four subdivision private developments and two state transportation projects are the mm. ones that are apparently purchasing or have purchased the credits. Well, it's going to be interesting to see how that turns out then. I think so. Yeah, okay. Well, it's a great show. I enjoyed it. Uh, my uh, hearing is still is back to normal again, and we're 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 doing fine. I'll talk to you next week. Too. All righty, we'll see you tomorrow at nine o'clock. Thomas Booker will be on tomorrow. We'll see you. From Sylvan Park Restaurant on Northwest Broad Street. It's the Truman Show on News Radio WGNS, FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, and streaming online at WGNSRadio.com. This portion of the show brought to you by MAPCO. How do you feel about two for three dollar Lay's or Cheetos? What about regular M&M's for only a dollar? These are just a handful of the sweet deals you'll find right now at MAPCO. You'll be surprised how they always have great deals for your everyday cravings. And don't forget to download their My Rewards mobile app to earn points toward items like ice-cold fountain drinks and even fuel. The app is available for both iPhones and Androids. Stop by and save at your local MAPCO today.